Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode encapsulates everything about why this podcast was formed and created. David will be relatable to so many, forging a successful career within one of the world's largest organisations and to the outside world, absolutely smashing it and going places. But as you're about to find out, something was missing. And even though he was told, that'll never work, mate, no one will buy that, he only went and did it anyway. Ready to be inspired? Hell yeah! Let's go team! My mum's going to hear this. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I, I actually, actually like Davide. 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 I actually Davide. have Davide. friends who call me Davide. <laughs> oh. But here we are. Another day, another podcast. Yep. Welcome to another idea. A podcast for creatives and entrepreneurs. They want to level up their business. Yep. Um, we are here, hopefully, just to provide just a little bit of inspiration and yep. some thought-provoking ideas mm-hmm. for anybody that's running a business on yep. their own. Um, in a small team, wherever you might be. Um, I think we've always said, look, we just genuinely hope that people take like one little soundbite out of each episode and they're like, yeah, yeah, that works for me. I'm going to try that. Yeah, definitely. Um, rather than just keeping themselves in their own little bubble. Um, <laughs> so yeah, hopefully here as a bit of company to you guys, wherever you are, give us a shout out, do all those clickety things that Igor asked for. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could do some more reviews, couldn't we? Reviews yeah, are nice. Definitely. I like a little review when it comes through. Um, are you okay? You're looking at me as though like you're waiting, no, no. Like you're waiting to say something. No, no, no. I'm just you're ripping. You are ripping some. Allow your space to um, just go for it. He's on it. <laughs> I like the sound. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Well, first of all, uh, we have a guest, but we've got someone else in the building as well. So we have, yeah. We we got to give a good shout out to Helen Rose, Lady, Lady Helen. Lady Helen's in the house. <laughs> Lady Helen's in the house. She won one of the competitions, so she's she she's here, just sort I mean, of like absorbing. Ago. Yeah, it's, it's taken us a while to 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 line the diary up, hasn't it? Yeah, but she's here. Yeah, um, and then quite amazingly, as a turn of events, she's not only here as a as as a as a guest and an audience member. She's at, no, she is here as a guest. She's now stepping into the person that's. 
dropped out at lunchtime. Yeah, yeah so, that's it. Shooting your shots. So incredible. You'll so get to meet her very soon. <laughs> so she'll be on the next episode. So look out for that one. Um, but today we've got um, David here. Yeah. Who is um, actually a former groom of mine. Mm-hmm. Shot his wedding in Rosen. Dave did. Yeah. Dave, David, Davide, what are we, what are we going for? What's... Well, it used to be Dave, but I mean, mostly David now. David. Yeah. I remember someone saying to me once, like, at work, like, oh, everyone knows a Dave, don't they? And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and from that moment onwards, I became yeah. David. And then any time anybody asked me, I was like, no, it's David. David. Yeah, because yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, everyone knows a Dave. So and I was like, yeah, Dave yeah. sounds dreadful, I'm not Dave. It? So now, now I'm yeah. David. You don't, you, don't, you don't fit the stereotypical Dave in my mind. No, like, no I'm too suave. Like a plasterer. Yeah. No, no, you, you're definitely not that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it was a hot. Yeah. That was a hot wedding. It was extremely um, hot. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have told. I'm pretty sure I have told you this. I think I put it in the blog post. But this is a little story for the the wedding <laughs> photographers out there that will make your bum get a bit squeaky. Was um, it was that hot that during the ceremony, one of my cameras powered down. <laughs> I do. I do. It powered down that. for the best part of half an hour. Well, um, it was it was a nerve wracking time. <laughs> I think it was like it must have been like 43, 44 degrees. It, it so actually it, was. It went through yeah, forty. Yeah. I know. I know yeah. that. And um, and there was no shade. No shade. <laughs> there was no shade. No. It was the height of the day. It was like I think it was like three. Was it a three o'clock ceremony? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, in Rhodes, in Greece, and it was it was quite it was meltingly hot. It was it was. I was absolutely crapping myself because the day before we went to the venue and obviously we met um, the people running the wedding and uh, went to all of our plans and A, it was a Greek wedding and they kind of, everything is like super relaxed. So nothing seemed to be actually, they didn't seem to be on top of anything. So (laughs) A, I was really nervous because it didn't seem like our wedding was going to go ahead. And B, I was in shorts and like a really light linen shirt and I was wet. And I was thinking, well, tomorrow I'm going to have to wear a three-piece suit <laughs> yeah. and a tie and have my shirt done up. And I was like, I was absolutely grabbing myself. And then in the morning, I remember sitting there in my swimming shorts. And actually, we went for a swim, didn't did, we, yeah, in the yeah. morning? Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, how am I going to cope? I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to be in my suit. It's going to be 40 degrees. Everything. <laughs> and actually, I almost didn't sweat at all, which was, like, so bizarre. It was like my yeah. body just thought, okay, today you couldn't I think when you're, at a, wedding, when you're at a wedding like that and it is that hot, I think you, we all just accept that, that we're all in the same boat. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. It. Like, exactly. We're all going to be sweaty and messy. Yeah, well, you had just... skin-tight jeans on. I don't know what don't you were thinking. Did, did I? You did, didn't you? <laughs> you Sam said, Docker with skin-tight jeans. You said you didn't want to burn. A slim pe- oh, yeah, no, yeah. I've gone to weddings before and wore, like, shorts, and I'm like, that's a bad move. Must have needed yeah. like talcum powder to get out of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks, David. <laughs> you started it. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't have called him David. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was a great. It was a great. It was a great wedding, though. They pulled it out of the bag, didn't they? Even though you. Had, oh, they did. Even though yeah. you had your worries about the venue, miracle, it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was it quite. Was it was quite a party. I can remember yes. that. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and and fast forward four years, and here you are, sat yeah, in front of I us know. again. Yeah, um, and we're talking about your your business, the Strap Tailor. Yes, we are. Yeah, have we got some things we need to talk about before we get to that? Yes, we do. Go on, Igor. Yes, we do. You take the you take the mantle. Initially, we were very much like, should we? Should we not? Are we? Are we not? But as you said, yeah, we kind of like just need to commit, shoot a shot, and just commit. Really, yeah. that we are going to do it. And in, in some ways, this is kind of like our way of doing it. Yeah, it is. And we're, putting it out this is something that we've been kind of working on the last few weeks, couple of months in, in the background. Yeah. And I think we, by putting this out now, we're kind of 
we're giving ourselves like a level of accountability. Merla, we're definitely doing it. So <laughs> we'll just we'll palm it off to Merla and make sure it gets out. No, we are. We've we've got a bit to do, but we are almost ready to announce. Yeah. Hopefully, by the time this episode drops, it will have already announced. Yeah. Uh, content creation day. Yeah. And it will be on. I don't the even fourth. know what we're going to call it in that I sense, don't know. are we? I don't know. It's kind of like, it's kind of, I suppose in its essence is a workshop. Yeah, it is a workshop. And it, but it's got like an element of a styled shoot. But actually where this differs to maybe other styled shoots that are out there is that we're taking the approach of hosting like a full wedding, aren't we? Yeah, that's it. Really? From getting ready to, to the dance floor. And it's with me and you. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, you'll only get 40 spots available. That's yeah. it. And it'll be split within two days. So it's literally... So it's a single, it's a single, single day, day workshop, 20 yeah. people each day. Yeah, that's it. Um, and once those 20 spots are filled, that is it. it. We are done. We're not doing another one this year. That's it. Um, but it's going to be in Oxfordshire. Yeah. We won't announce the venue just yet. Let's wait yeah. till we've pushed it all out. But it's a lovely barn in <laughs> yeah, Oxfordshire. Yeah, we've got it all booked. Got and... some models. Got a couple of models. Got stylists. Got yep. florist. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited. It's something that we've kind of wanted to put together for a little while now. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with... The, the way content creation is going today it's it's great to do it but at the same time bring a educational value to it to yeah. it or yeah. educational element to it so we yeah, are really hot on that we're certainly not going to be here you go guys off you go and shoot do what you want we're yeah. going to be there to to kind of guide and help and pass on sort of our yeah. knowledge but also give you real kind of value in terms of being able to see an entire wedding day yeah rather than just like a stage kind of moment not that there's anything wrong with those workshops yeah. so you know they're all really valuable and, and, and helpful but that's it we want to try and bring something else to to the to the market so yeah that is it yeah yeah we haven't caught, thought of a name yet so maybe by the time this goes out we have got a name yeah but hey we'll see yeah but that aside let's Crack dive on. let's yeah. dive in david day <laughs> no david um just doing research on you it's it's been amazing to to sort of like just delve a little bit into your world because it is a proper proper world just literally going through your account and the community that you have around you of people that are really into their watches there are mm -hmm. people that are really into their watches oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> i was yeah. like whoa this yeah. is a whole other world so yeah this is going to be not, one of those play that, like, it's, it's watch straps but yeah. it's not like watch straps that you think are just exactly. watch straps. we're not yeah. doing like um what are those like kind of what are the really like swatch watch straps yeah, right. they're I come swatch. here with my Casio no, yeah well. they're, not, they're not those David's in a slightly different market yeah isn't he? definitely but just talk to us through your journey how did you start your passion for sure. for watches and and how did you build a business really to create your straps and everything you're doing just give us it all David yeah. just give it, give us it all, all. We're, we're, yeah. we're kicking oh. back I'm, I'm ready just to take start? it all in yeah. um, where do I start so Originally, when I um, I went to uni, I kind of did the the kind of cookie cutter thing, right? Which is like everybody at school tells you you need to go to uni. That's the number one thing. So you try and choose something that you're interested in. And actually, it turned out there wasn't like much that I was like really passionate about, apart from one thing, which was like web design. And I was like the kid at school that was like designing websites before everyone like really knew what the internet was. And like the internet obviously was a thing, but. I was the kid like building like parents' websites for their companies and things. So I was like always super interested in that. Um, went to university and did computer science, so programming and maths, which was supremely dull. And um, I was only surrounded by men. There was like four women on my course, which was hilarious. 
Um, and I really wanted to do web design, but my dad like really pushed me into computer science. Why was, was that like, a problem, David? Uh, <laughs> Why was that a problem? What? Only three women on your course. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and I was in an all-male hall, which was ridiculous. Okay. So I arrived on day one at university and I was like in an all-male hall as well. And I was just like, oh, this has really gone from bad to worse now. I've gone to uni, I'm in an all-male hall and there's three women on my course or four, something like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I ended up going to university, doing computer science and maths. And my dad was like, you'll always get a job if you do those two things and you can do web design on the side if you want to do it. And I kind of always continued to do that. So I always had a passion for the kind of digital side of like the internet and kind of saw a future there which will make more sense in a minute. Don't worry, I'm not going to completely waffle on. <laughs> um, and when I came out of university, again, kind of like the usual thing happened, which is you never know what you're going to do, right? Like, I mean, some people do. Like, you know, they go and study medicine, they become a doctor. I came out of university, had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And, um, and I ended up uh, speaking to a graduate recruiter in London. And she was like, oh, you should go and, um, you should go and work in search. And I was like, I've got absolutely no idea what search is. She was like, well, you do a bit of maths. You're quite good on computers. So there's this thing called, you know, search engine marketing, which is Google, right? Like it was, yeah. you know, at the time she's like, oh, you know, these little ads pop up on the top and you click them and they take you through to the XYZ brand. And I was like, I've never clicked on one of those ads in my life. She was like, yeah, everyone says that, but everyone's clicking on them. And I was like, cool, that sounds fine. Uh, went for an interview, got a job in search. Still didn't know what You're it quite was. quite easily led at this point. Yeah, right? oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like literally like first job, like straight into London doing something. I had no idea what it was. And quickly turned out she was right. Like people do click on these Google ads a lot. And um, and actually that's kind of where my career in digital marketing started. I never click on those ads. Yeah. Everyone, I never do everyone it. Everyone says that. Yeah, I mean, Google's do a you? big... No. No, Google's a big Google. business, you know, like, yeah. and that's from ad clicking. Yeah. So, so lots of people do. I think Actually, purposely, most of the times, tend to literally scroll down, skip the ads, and then go for all, yeah. whatever. What blows my for. mind is when you search for a specific company and then an ad comes up, and you're like, "Oh yeah, why would why would you do that? I've just searched for you." Or you click on your competitor's company because you know it costs them about one yeah. pound. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah I ended up in search marketing I did that for 10 years of my career I suppose then ended up at Google where I worked for six or seven years working on you know um on that side of the business which was super interesting but throughout that entire period like I was very clear that I didn't want to work for someone else um I don't really like being managed by someone else I don't like not having control of things. And I really don't like doing things that I don't want to do. And here you are in the world's largest corporation. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, yeah, in, in Google of all places. And I mean, Google's great in many ways and it's given me lots of opportunity. But, um, you know, and free lunch. Uh, you know, lobster pasta is quite nice uh, for lunch. Um, but, but it's like... It was actually one of my questions. Free <laughs> yeah, avocado yeah. and lobster. We have to oh, talk yeah. about it. The number of avocados they must go through in a day is unbelievable. <laughs> I reckon that must be like the number one injury they have at Google is like someone in like the, the medical room with like chop their hand, like trying to prepare their avocado in the morning. Um, but yeah, there's lots of like amazing things about Google, but there's so much like internal red tape. Like you're constantly, you spend probably 80% of your time doing in, internal stuff rather than external stuff. So if you went to Google and you were really passionate about like, helping clients do better digital marketing, chances are you're only spending 20% of your time doing that thing you really love and 80% of your time 
doing the stuff that Google want you to do, which mm. is like internal if, projects. If anybody, so. if anybody right now is listening to this at Google headquarters, just chuckling, <laughs> just chuckling away to David, just give us a little shout out on, on Instagram. Just say, I'm at Google headquarters listening. <laughs> I'd love that. Yeah, I know. It's very disparaging, isn't it? But I think, yeah, th- throughout this time, like I was always really clear I didn't want to work for someone else. Yeah. Like that was like the overarching kind of goal was like to always try and escape that. And I feel like, I was very lucky as well because that gave me a really good base for starting my own business, right? Like if you worked in digital marketing for the last 15 years, whether that's in search, web design, whatever it might be, that is such a solid foundation now to like start your own business. I don't have to pay anyone for web design. Don't have to pay anyone to fix my website. I can do most of my own marketing, although I don't now because I don't have time. But all of those things, like I already had the skill set in. Yeah. And then over the sort of, 10 15 years or even before uni i always had like little businesses i was always trying to make money like i always like enjoy the thrill of like yeah trying to make a buck basically yeah, so you, you was... had that you had that experience at a very young age really didn't you of, of that independence and that yeah absolutely. That, that that enjoyment of creating something and selling it and being your own boss yeah yeah, yeah so to, to go to google must have been i can imagine quite an internal battle for you I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, financially, it's very rewarding. So, you know, like that helps. But at the same time, like it doesn't take long when you work at Google to realize like the sort of failings of the job you're doing in that there's a lot of overpaid people at Google doing something that isn't like hugely valuable. And they mask all of that. <laughs> Do we need to be careful here? <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is your ad account going to be cancelled? And both of ours. <laughs> Deary me, deary me, David. <laughs> I mean, they can come after us. We've got nothing to give them, so it's fine. Um, um, yeah, and I, it doesn't give you much like creative space. Yeah, and like you guys are very creative, right? Like if you were, if you were really constrained, you'd probably really struggle, right? If you worked in a really corporate environment and you were very much prescribed every day how you were going to be creative oh, have to, have to. that wouldn't be the right place yeah. for you because that's why you do what you do and yeah. you have yeah. this you wouldn't be able to thrive really you yeah. wouldn't yeah. be able to do it right and um and so the the strap tailor kind of came about really twofold one is i've always had a love and passion for watches that came from my grandfather um he always used to sort of tinker with them gave me my first watch um always kind of like he was always like buying watches at you know uh boot sales and antique shops and all sorts of stuff like that and it just really got me fascinated in watches my mum really liked them my dad doesn't really care um but that's kind of something that's always kind of stuck with me and one of the sort of I guess like overarching bits of advice that I've always sort of seen read or heard was that like you should follow something you're really passionate about Like if I tried to set up a business selling socks, I reckon I could sell a lot of socks, but I wouldn't be able to stay up till two in the morning dealing with all the problems yeah. that come with selling socks. Yeah. And and that's the great thing about the strap business is like I kind of pulled everything together, which was like a love of watches, a community that I really understood and I was part of, and also then trying to create a great product from something I'm also passionate about, which is like leather making, craft and materials. And so it was like bringing all of those things together, which at the start was kind of just a bit of a hobby. Like I did it as a side gig. And I thought this will be interesting to see where it goes. Um, I even remember like a French friend of mine, Olivier, who I used to work with. 
he was also really passionate about watches and we would find ourselves having like one hour coffee breaks talking about watch collecting <laughs> on Google's time. Um, and uh, I remember him saying to me at the time, he was like, this will never work. Like, you know, yeah, there's loads of watch track companies out there at the moment already. Um, and I don't think you'll ever do more than X sales per month. And I still joke about this with him now because I'm like, well, now I have my own business. I don't work for Google anymore. Um, and it's actually doing quite well. Do you regularly send him screenshots of your um, I sales reports? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> what was that said, Olivia? And also at the time, I was like, oh, do you want to do this together? And he was like, no, there's no way this is going to work. And, I, and now he's still working at Google. I'm sure he's earning more money than I am. But, um, he gets free avocados there. Yeah, he, he gets so. free avocados and lobster. Um, uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I, sort of how what, I ended up. What is it about watches? Um, what's, what's, the, what's the love and the appeal the of draw. Well, I guess what, one part of it is like it's man's only jewellery, typically. So you've got a wedding ring probably and you might wear a watch. And, Such a good point. Um, yeah. And it's therefore, I think, for for men specifically, is like maybe one thing is style, but the other thing is accessorizing, and that is the only thing we can do it with typically. Um, so I've always like really liked that aspect of it. I really like the mechanics of a watch. Um, I think it's fascinating that you know, I mean, this watch, for example, is from 1960. It's been used by a commercial diver every day at probably depths of hundreds of 200 meters welding on oil rigs it still tells perfect time it's got bubbles on the dial because it's oxidized where it's gone to 100 meters uh, below sea level and then back up to the surface it's got so much character mm. and this watch hopefully I, would, I don't have children but i've got a collection of watches that will probably end up with my nieces or their husbands or whatever that might look like in future and Partly that's why I really love them because they always kind of tell a story. Like yeah. I don't typically buy new watches, I buy vintage watches because I always feel like there's a bit of a story that goes with each and every one of them. They all have character. They're all very different. There are some watches in the world that, you know, granted they probably cost like 60 grand, but they're like hand engraved. They might take a year to make. Um, brands like A. Langenzen have um, bridge work on them that's hand engraved. And if you took the watch back to A. Langenzen in Switzerland, they'd be able to tell you uh, exactly uh, who engraved the bridge, for example. And things like that just fascinate me. And um, and that's why I really love them. And the community is excellent as well, which is part of the reason I started the business, because it's huge. Like the number of watch collectors is growing exponentially. There's a younger audience getting into it all the time. Um, I think watch collecting, I think was typically only seen as being reserved for people with lots of disposable income, but watch collecting, to me at least, isn't about the value of the watch, it's about what it means to the individual. And I think a lot of people will collect watches because they want to show off. Um, and there's lots of people who collect watches who are genuinely interested in the mechanics of it, the history of the brands, um, what those watches meant. You know, there are watches like Rolex Explorers that were the first watches, you know, to go to the top of Everest, for example. And that's got a history to that watch. Mm. And that's a very collectible watch if you get like the early iterations and stuff. Um, so things like that, I just find I'm quite saved up for one of those yet. I no, I'm quite there now. about twenty five grand now. Working on, that. Working yeah. on that. Sam. So Igor, <laughs> Studio Ninja. Yeah, let's just talk. Let's talk a little bit about our sponsor. And I was wondering about what we need to say in this little section because I really want to talk about just how vital it is to my business. And yeah. one thing that came up recently was in my own business was that I was thinking about whether I need to get a VA on board. Mm -hmm. Like, do I need somebody that's going to help me just you know perform some of the admin tasks and 
when I looked at it and I re- it really boiled down to what do I need somebody on board for I realised that I don't actually do much admin yeah and I don't do much admin purely because of Studio Ninja yeah everything's automated yeah my invoices my diary my questionnaires that I send out email templates cha- email templates chasing up invoices yeah everything's fully automated to the point where it doesn't take a huge amount of my time anyway so it kind of defeats the whole point of a VA so for me it is a very integral part of my business yeah. and I think when you're running a business you're self-employed like we are mm-hmm. you know being efficient yeah being productive making sure that things run in the right order if you find yourself doing any kind of repeat task you have to say to yourself why am I repeating this automate it um, and if you can automate it then that's it and that's really where Studio Ninja fits in with me and my business and they have very kindly given us a discount code, haven't they, for this podcast? So yeah. what's that discount code, Igor? Another idea. And another idea gets you 50% off your first annual subscription. Yeah. So it's just a no-brainer. I mean, I wouldn't even be hanging around. Just go and look at Studio Ninja. Just go and do it right now. But thank you very much, guys, for sponsoring this podcast. We love you. We appreciate you. Keep it up. We love Studio Ninja. So I think all, of that, all of that fascinates me. And the community, I think, is actually exceptional. You know, I've met lots of... Uh, friends through watches that um, you know I'm still very close to now and lots of friends through watches that have helped me grow my business and also been good mentors to me as well in in doing that as well so it's also just like a really cool community it's just yeah. like a really nice yeah. group of people so how 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 did the business start then how what was it like getting your first order and sort of like <laughs> setting that up and can you, How just, did can you just tell us what Strap Tailor is first? Yeah. Just, just paint a picture of what, what it is you actually do on a day-to-day basis now. What's your, yeah, what's your so, um, Sorry to hijack your no, question. No, 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 yeah, yeah, I feel like course. we've just gone straight into the chat again. <laughs> yeah. like we always do. But. So the Strap Tailor, um, I sell handmade um, leather watch straps, largely speaking. I've expanded a bit you know, in, in recent months and years. But yeah, primarily focused on just making the best possible leather product I can for watches. And that's um, it's mostly bespoke. So... That was something I learned very quickly when I started the business is I thought, well, I'll just make a range of 10 different watch straps in these different colors, in these sizes, and that's what my business will be. But actually, very quickly, I realized that people want a tailored product and they want to have yellow stitching, no padding, so orange niched. edge. Point. It's so niche. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... And that's why people thought it wouldn't work, right? They were like, this is too, like, how many people want that? I don't know anyone who wants yeah. that. And I'm like, well, I think people want it. Like, I want it. So somebody else out there must want it. And it was just then trying to find that group of people. And it turned out that that group was much larger than I thought it was. Mm. And there aren't many people in the world even that are offering that sort of level of customization. And that has its challenges as well, which maybe we might sort of through a tangent get onto later. But um, yeah, that's fundamentally what it's about in a nutshell is creating bespoke products uh, for kind of 80% of watches that exist. Amazing. Yeah. You want a question, Igor, about the, yeah. first, the first sale? First sale and first just sale. just how it started, really. Yeah. Um, just tell us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I say, the business started with a very small subset of products. And um, I really started the business on Instagram. These were in the days when, like, when you had an Instagram account, you would very quickly be able to build to... At the time, I remember getting, like, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 followers quite quickly. And I was like, oh, I've got 2,000 followers. It's exciting. And that was in a day when actually like people really engaged and Instagram allowed you to get exposure, which is kind of like the the drug of Instagram, isn't it? Like I could build a business on Instagram. I didn't pay for a single piece of marketing. And I think for two years, my business is entirely run on me just like putting content on Instagram of like 
making a strap or different leather types or uh, a strap on a really popular watch that I thought looked cool. And then suddenly, yeah, like people were coming to me through Instagram. They were coming direct to my website as a result of that. Uh, and that grew really quickly. People were sharing it loads um, and it kind of grew exponentially quite organically, which is a really powerful thing, which actually I think is almost impossible to do now with Instagram because mm. they get you on the hook. They're like, you've built a business for free. Now you need to start paying for it. And now I'm paying for it because, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's not easy to get the exposure there anymore. But the first sale like sort of translating that into like when people actually started buying you know when you start a e-commerce brand or a retail brand like it's all about traction isn't it like there has to be that first person that makes the purchase that's then going to tell going to go and tell someone else about it and sometimes it's a bit slow but it kind of it sort of started to snowball quite quickly and the first sale feels amazing anyone will tell you that and even now like five years later when i get set you know i check my orders like probably probably 30 times a day it's ridiculous <laughs> or my phone's notifying me or whatever and it still feels as good today as it did then it's different because I can make choices now which I couldn't make then which is like chasing the sale whereas now I can like retire a sale if I feel like someone's unfair or unreasonable or rude or whatever um but back then like yeah I mean it's magical I remember like calling my wife Emma um, she was at home with me at the time. I remember like running downstairs. I was like, I've actually made a sale. Like somebody wants this thing. And like, it's that first like signal, isn't it? That someone's like, ah, yeah. I believe in the product you've got. Like, um, I believe in you to actually deliver it to me. And then also the kind of follow on to that is, I mean, the second, third, fourth, fifth sale, but also then when someone comes back and says, I love the product. I think yeah. that's almost as rewarding as like the first sale. Did you sale. hand your notes into Google after that first sale? No, I definitely did not. <laughs> so watch strap. No. I am gone. But I think at that point, I was probably thinking like, I really hope this works yeah. because like, I feel like there's something in this. And when I quickly then started to realize that it wasn't like off the shelf products that people wanted and they wanted the bespoke stuff, quickly I was like, mm, okay, pivot the business a bit and try and focus on that thing. Um, so yeah, amazing is the short answer. <laughs> and it still does. Yeah, that's amazing, incredible. Right. And for for anyone that's not sort of like acquainted with the with the watch world in general, in terms of like, especially you being like, being making custom straps, it's not as if you're kind of like making volume on them. Mm. Um, how much would you be selling one for, or what's sort of like average or of a of a of a custom piece yeah, or custom yeah. strap that you would be would be making, or did it vary like really largely? No, it doesn't vary hugely. And this is a really interesting question, actually. I was thinking about this in the car on the way up. Like, my average price point is probably about £130, give or take. Um, and that can that can be um, a calfskin strap. It could be an ostrich skin strap. I don't use skins from animals that are bred for their skin alone. Caveat. Um, only focus on skins from animals that are a uh, byproduct of the meat industry. So calfskin yeah. primarily. Um and largely material cost is one factor. So there are some leathers that are extremely expensive. Like mm. I use a horse hide, for example, called Cordovan. It's $100 a square foot, you know, for like, wow. you know, this much leather, which is insane. Um, and the price of a strap is, is based on time plus material. Mm. And this is always the area where I get trolled. Like it doesn't matter what industry you're in, right? Like there's always someone on the internet that wants to like try and like hammer you down. Yep. Could do it for a lot less. Oh yeah, exactly. Who did we have right? that with like... on the podcast recently about? <laughs> oh, it was um, Cat and Ash, wasn't it, with the the burners? You yes. know, like it had it doesn't it 
you know, I could make one myself for a lot cheaper. Well, go on then. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh, yeah. Go, and, go and make it uh, yeah. cheaper. You know, be yeah, my guest. Absolutely. <laughs> and let me know how you do it. Because I would like to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can get my auntie to take my wedding photos for me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, and that's always the challenge is that when you, I, I position myself as a luxury product. I yeah. mean, it is, right? Like you don't go and spend £130 on a strap on a whim, like, or some people will, but most people don't. It's a sort of thoughtful product. I just think that's fair. I, I, I was expecting it to be quite a bit more than that. Should I put my prices up? Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, this I, is the question that always happens. Yeah. In, my, in my head, I was just thinking of the types of watches that I see on your feed. I was like, they've, they've got to be, a, those, those straps must be three, four, five hundred quid. I mean, there are people that uh, charge sure nine hundred dollars for a strap. Right. Okay. You know, like you they, should definitely put your price. Yeah, up. there are. No. I mean, for sure, there are people that uh, charge a lot more, and I think that's the thing that I'm always challenged on is people are like this is like, or especially on like Facebook and stuff like the trolls are just infinite. But people are like, well, this is ridiculous. Like, why would I spend one hundred and thirty pound on a strap? And it's like, well, even if you take minimum wage into account, and you and a strap takes three to four hours, depending on the complexity of the strap. Some of them a bit less, but that's four hours of work. Plus then you've got to add the materials into that. And this is the same of most industries, right? Yep. Especially creative ones where you have a limit on capacity um, and then you need to run the business. Yep. I think other you people taxes, also forget VAT. that like, you've got these lights on, they cost money, you're heating the building, you're paying for the rent, you've got a team. like. I pay rent on my unit. Like all of, yeah. there are other expenses. That I is exactly why people that. need to share this podcast a bit more, isn't it? Eagle? <laughs> yeah. oh, that's the least they could do. It's the least you can do, <laughs> yeah. people, if you're listening. Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes I th I think that people just don't appreciate that we're in a world now where like everything is like tomorrow, and you know Amazon have kind of killed retail. So like, well, you order it now, you can have it by ten. And like, I work in a creative world where it's like, well, it's going to take two to three two to three weeks at best mm. maybe four especially if we're really busy so yeah like people are paying a lot for it some people really appreciate that because like they get the customization if i send so and it's like wedding photography right you might have some customers who email you 50 times you must get that right they're like back and forth back and forth before they finally commit that is a time you haven't charged for. Like that is your time that you've been on the phone, yeah. you've been writing emails for the 50th time. You're like, oh God, like this is costing me a fortune now. It's the same with like bespoke products. Like someone's back and forth on whether they want yellow stitching or red stitching, which I love. Like that's part of the creative consultancy part, but that's that costs money as well. And then when yeah. they finally pay, it's like, yeah, okay, I've made a margin on that product, but I've actually made a loss because that took two hours of my time that I could have been doing something that would have actually grown the business. So the price of the product is relatively high, but I think it's fair considering like, yeah, the cost of materials is high, mm -hmm. labor's not cheap. Uh, and the cost of like running business in the UK, as we all know, yeah. is actually extremely high yeah. right now. So um, yeah, it's not a cheap product. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good to know. It's good to know yeah. because it's, again, it's such a fascinating world really. And, uh, and I really want to dive in into the customization side of it really. How did you start? learning how to tailor things and was it something natural to you or i don't know was it something that your granddad used to do as well in terms of the the leathers and everything else just literally the cutting and the threading of everything and how how did you begin that journey really yeah. did you um go to not to school but did you sort of like go into courses into it or how did that sort of like come about for you well i think the great thing about anything or largely creative now is like the resources are infinite 
So, you know, you guys put out a lot of content on, you know, how to be a better photographer and the same goes for most industries, right? Like if you want to learn how to make a leather product, there's an infinite amount of resources now. Like 20 years ago, yeah, you would have had to go to a course. It may or may not have been for the product you want to make. Like if you want to make a leather card wallet, we could all go on a course tomorrow and we'd all walk away with a leather card wallet. That would be pretty good to be fair, because it's so simple. It's like cookie cutter, like, cut three pieces out, punch some holes in it, glue it, skive it a bit, and it's done, and stitch it, and we could all learn to do that. When you start we've, we've to We've basically make... just done it, haven't we, there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've all done it. In our heads, we've yeah. just made a card wallet. Um, and with straps, it's mega intricate. And that's the thing with leather products. It's like the smaller the product gets, the more intricate that thing becomes, and the more obvious it is if you make a mistake. So there are some things you can learn to do really quickly and easily, and you probably don't even need to watch a video to do it because a lot of it is trial and error, which would be the same, I guess, for you guys as well. Like you all have your own styles. The same translates into leather work. Like some people are really good at like making a belt and a wallet and they will look exceptional and they will still be way better than you could do in three years time. And the same goes for straps. Some people make really rustic stuff. Some people make really fine, intricate stuff. And all of that is just a trial and error process and just watching loads of content. Mm. Like stitching, I could teach everybody here to saddle stitch in 10 to 15 minutes. But it would take you probably six months to 12 months to be really good at it to the point where the stitching on both sides of the strap, for example, looks the same. Mm. Like it's all about tension, angle, um, uh technique um and you know simple things like not putting the needle through the thread so it gets jammed like there's little things that you only learn through practice and it's all very intricate and it's it really is just trial and error and i think things like you know leather selection for me is part of the fun like i enjoy fine like this one for example uh, is a new leather that I've just got, which is like called a wax pull-up leather, which means it... It's quite suede isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It looks like new buck, doesn't it? But it takes on so much character. Like, I spilt some water on it at the weekend, and it's still there, right? And this is... It picks up oils, it will scratch, and all of that patina just, like, adds to the life of the strap over time. And I really love finding those new leathers, like going to Leather Merchant, going through leathers, or buying it from Italy or like literally seeing it online, not really knowing whether it's going to be what I want it arise. I'm like, damn, that's so cool. And it would be very easy to like copy other strap makings and be like, well, that's their bestseller. So I'll just make that one. Um, I find leathers that I really love. And then I buy all of the colors. I find a particular style. Like I really like pull up leathers. So I'll focus on those because I know customers always really appreciate that kind of vintage look. Um, and for me, that's almost like, more the fun now it's mm. like finding new leathers finding really old like vintage stuff where there's only like one panel in the uk or something and that's like a limited run um but it's always evolving like techniques are changing the type of straps that we're making are changing um and that kind of changes with consumer demand as well right like what people want and what people buy in terms of you know panerai was a really big brand and everyone wanted a chip a, a chunky thick strap for five years in a row and they didn't want it to look particularly fancy they wanted it all like frayed and whatnot because that was the style and then people now i'd say are buying smaller more dainty vintage watches and they want something more refined and thin so all of the time that is changing it's just like whether you move with it or you try and sort of resist it and be like there are some people who will only make a panerai strap because it's like the rustic easy one to make yeah. um so yes yeah, constantly changing techniques change materials change uh, but that's what I 
kind of find really interesting, really. You, yeah. yeah, go on, go on. You're clearly passionate about it. And it makes me think, have you got any sort of like specific strap that you made that you know the customer or even that your feedback that you got that, yeah, that was the one, that was yeah, yeah. the one that really, yeah, really uh, satisfied you and really made you want to carry on and, and, and push more. Those are the sort of clients that want more and more. Yeah, I think, so not a specific strap, but there's a particular category mm -hmm. that I always love doing. And that is a kind of, kind of splits into two, but it's for people who have a watch that's been in the family. It might have been passed down by, you know, mother, father, grandfather. They may have recently died. It might be hugely sentimental. It might be a strap that they can't buy anywhere. They've taken it to five different places and they're like, sorry, mm -hmm. we can't do that. Like that doesn't exist anymore. Because there's loads of watches that have really unique lug fitments, which means you, you physically can't buy a strap because it was made 60 years ago and no one makes it anymore. So they send us the watch or they send us the strap as a template. We'll reuse that send it back and they're like this has been sitting in a drawer for 10 years because no one's been able to sort mm. it and now I can wear my granddad's watch again mm. and for me like go, going right back to why I'm passionate about watches that's kind of why because like I say at some point I'd like to think that whatever watches I've got left will become somebody else's and they'll treat them in the same way I have and hopefully not sell them um, but that's kind of what's special is like each one has a bit of a memory and for them they're wearing their dad's their mum's their granddad's watch again and you've been able to make that happen. And that's way more valuable to me than like the money I've made from that strap is like getting that feedback or getting that review that's like, this is magical. You've just like, I've been able to wear it again. Kind of makes me choke up a bit actually. Yeah, it's like, amazing. It like, it is really special. And um, we get that all the time. Like, you know, it's lots of people who have inherited a watch that, you know, they're like, I don't know anything about watches. Don't know anything about straps. Can you tell me what I, what I should get? Even like, I don't know what to. I don't know what would look good. And now that's that's my job. It's like I'm like, okay, well, it's got a gold case. This stitching goes really well with gold. This sort of leather, if you want to wear it smart or with a suit, or you know, do you like to wear you know jeans and t-shirt all the time? In which case, go for this really rustic leather. And and you basically surprise and delight, right? Like they're like, look, I'll just leave it up to you. You've got all the specs now, my wrist size, et cetera. Like just go and make something and you send it and they're like, wow, this is incredible. It looks mm -hmm. awesome. Um, and that for me is like the fun part. So we've made like millions of course, cool straps that I always think like every time we sort of send it out, I'm like that one's the coolest one I've ever seen now. Like it's funky. And a lot of that comes from the customer as well, right? Like I think I'm pretty good at choosing the right leathers and stitching for the right watches and making it look cool but sometimes customers come and like with some wild like ideas and i'm like god that's gonna look really ridiculous and then i do it i'm like damn that looks awesome or like <laughs> yeah. look really cool in the summer with a white t-shirt yeah. um and that's how a lot of straps come about on the website is customers come up with a cool idea and i'm like mm, that actually looks really good and i think other <laughs> people would like that and so there's your new you know that's the next product that goes it up sounds um, it sounds slightly more satisfying than search ads yeah yeah definitely yeah, it sounds like you've got a good level of, of job satisfaction there that you just oh, 100 kind of yeah and actually for me that's what it's all about as well it's like i mean i i took a huge pay cut to do this but for me it was getting out of that life of like commuting all the time i commuted into london from leighton buzzard which is a 30 minute train ride it's not even that long but when you account for the fact that the trains are always delayed it's freezing cold on the platform uh, it's packed, so you sometimes don't get a seat. On the way home, it's going to be delayed. I'd get home at nine o'clock at night, I'd eat my dinner, I'd go to bed, I'd do the same thing the next day. And for me, like, 
that just wasn't something I could see myself doing forever. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not really enjoying what I'm doing. I'm not passionate about it. I think I'm quite good at it, but um, but I know there's something more satisfying for me. I think there's a really good um, uh, quote, and I can't remember who it's who says it, but it's something like, um, if you think adventure is dangerous, you should try routine. It's even more dangerous. And I think that's like super pertinent. And that routine for me was a killer. Absolutely, absolutely hated it. And um, now my office is, I've moved to the countryside. My office is three minutes from my front door um, uh, on a farm. So I'm in the country, there's just some lambs that have just been born in the field next door. Um, you know, I've got complete flexibility to do whatever I like. Um, I employ two people, one of them is my sister. Um, the other one, Colette, is from the village. So I'm trying to sort of support, well, A, my sister, but also like local community as I grow, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's an amazing thing for me. It's like getting away from that rat race. And yes, I don't earn as much money, but I'm infinitely more happy and my happiness is worth more than the money I was getting paid before. So yeah, I think I think for people starting a business, like a lot, if you've got that drive to like have more freedom, yeah. that should be like also the overarching like drive for you. Yeah. It's like, you know, the money is important because like we all need to pay our increasing energy costs and, and whatnot. But if you've got the passion, and the drive then you should always try and pursue something that makes you happy like we're all so stuck in you know the sort of golden handcuffs of like you know working in a career because it pays the salary and we'd all probably well not me because I'm quite enjoying what I'm doing but a lot of people want to get out of that rat race and do something they're more passionate about but they feel like they can't and that's a really sad worrying thought for me and I hear it all the time from friends and um yeah my wife's been through that in the past and I think yeah, a lot of people get stuck, and you know, there's lots of options. Just you just have to be a bit bold sometimes about how you go about it. Yeah. On that on that point, um, when you when you reflect on that kind of transition from Google to where you are now in mm. on this farm, yeah, <laughs> how long how long did that take? How long was that process from kind of having this idea and this chat with Olivier to say I'm going <laughs> to yeah, do this? Yeah. How long was that? And and also, yeah, what did you do over that time? Like how how because I what I what I'm imagining now is like you know you're saying you get home at you know you might get home at nine o'clock is how do you find the time to be able to pursue that away from yeah. what is a, a a time-consuming job that you don't want to be in yeah I mean that was a real that was a struggle as well like I you know almost killed myself frankly like I was I started my business on the side I was working really long days as you just alluded to and and then I would come home and start working on my business and that's my point about it also being a passion project is like it's tough on your body and like mentally when you're working so many hours but when you're passionate about it you can't wait to get home at nine o'clock and start working on that thing because you're like I'm I can't wait to do it or I'd get up early at 5 a.m and do some emails and then go to work and do my day job and you know I'd be packaging stuff at 2 a.m in the morning at some days or I'd be working all weekend and then trying to find time for me and Emma to like go and do something. But she also was really supportive of knowing that that's really what I wanted to do. And that was my way out. Um, I used to hand write every single uh, envelope that I sent out. I have like this little C6 um, cardboard wallet that I put every strap in. I still do it, but now it's branded and it's got gold foil on it and stuff. But I used to hand write every single one. Thank you for your strap. Like, hope it looks great on your granddad's watch, blah, 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 David. 
I used to handwrite every single one, handwrite every single envelope. That was like two in the morning. I feel like fall asleep almost on the job. Um, and the reality is I had to do that for quite a while because I, I couldn't quit my job initially because I was probably making yeah. like 50 quid a month um, when I took all the other stuff into account. And my, I was lucky, I was very lucky that Google allowed me to save enough money to kind of give myself a year's buffer. That's how I did it is I was like, I'll save enough money so that if shit really hits the fan, like I can just like smash through this budget. And my, the thought in the back of my head was I always know how to make money. Like whether that's like, I'll go and get a job in a pub and work in the evenings to like tie myself over if it's not quite there yet. Or you know, if it really all fails, I'll just go and get another job. It won't be at Google probably, but I can just go and get another job. And I think sometimes when people make that leap, they forget that it is very easy to forget right mm. like even now i'm thinking like god what, what happens if next quarter like the business is like just completely di disintegrated sometimes you forget that you're like oh god i could actually just go and get another job like assuming like the economy hasn't also disintegrated then i can just go and get another job and i'll be fine for a while and then i'll work on whatever the next project is um but yeah there was that two-year period where I just worked my socks off basically um and then it got to a point where I did actually have to make a decision whether it was my career at Google or a career in that industry uh long term or do I give it my everything and go full-time on my own business and when I did that it grew exponentially because mm. all of a sudden like I was getting up you know still mega early actually because I was so excited like I used to wake up when I finally quit Google and I was like I'm doing this full time now I used to wake up in the morning and before when I worked at Google I'd wake up and I'd be like my brain would be like okay calendar it'd go through the calendar and I'd be like oh Jesus I've got that meeting that meeting is going to be horrible and I've got to meet that CEO and tell him he's doing a really bad job at this marketing and like you'd be like panicking about the day now I'm waking up at five six in the morning I'm like wow this is going to be awesome I'm going to do all these things I couldn't wait to get out of bed to start doing them like messing around with the website you know going after more customers thinking about how I was going to deal with my marketing and like suddenly I went from like terror of getting out of bed and going to work to I can't wait to get up and do my thing mm. um so it was like an immediate shift in like mood and productivity and that just meant that yeah it just was able to grow super yeah. fast because I was like putting all of my energy yeah. into that. I think the reason I asked that question I, I kind of I, I kind of knew the answer before I'd asked it but, but it is just to kind of illustrate to people that might be you know in that job that we've all talked about you know a job that doesn't really fulfill them or satisfy them yeah. that that you know what you've created hasn't just happened you haven't just gone oh, I'm going to do this thing and off I go and just yeah you know, there, there you go I've created this brand like yeah. you've had to work really bloody hard yeah yeah absolutely and, yeah. and you've had to you know stay up and do those late nights do those early mornings and you know really really graft and work at it and and not just do it for a week or two you've had to do it for two years yeah yeah you know two years I mean I'm still doing it yeah like I'm but I mean that that, that transition period it's that yeah. period of like handling almost two jobs yes you know yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. real battle yeah you know and it I think the point I was trying to make is that you know you don't just get to the stage you're at now with your business where you're employing two people where you've got an office where it's just like that it just yeah. doesn't happen like that people don't see the they don't see those late nights absolutely they not. don't see those early starts yeah. they don't see those you know decisions that you have to make and the you know get sacrificing your weekend mm. you know yeah. to, to to give time to something that you are passionate about and believe in yeah but, and i think sometimes like and you'll have both heard this but like you always get somebody and it's it might be a really close friend it might be someone you're um 
uh, doing wedding photography for. But the people that are always like, oh, you're so lucky. And you're like, well, yeah, I am because I'm doing something I really enjoy, but I have worked my ass off for this. Mm. Like, and it's always like, oh, you're so lucky you get to like, you know, work in this office on the farm. And it's like, yeah, but I also made sacrifices and yeah. I didn't do anything with my wife for like a whole year at weekends because I was like up early working. And yeah, I think like you say, people don't see all of that and just assume that it's all like, yeah, press the button and all the sales start coming in and like, I'm actually okay now. Um, but yeah, there's an immense amount of work that goes into it. But that very much is about, yeah, if you're passionate about it and, you know, the old, um, the old saying about like, if, if you're passionate about your job, it never feels like work, right? Like or some variant of that. It is true, I think. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong, sometimes I don't want to be working, but it I can stay up late and work on something because it's mine and I'm passionate about it. I want it to succeed and I want people to be happy. I want customers to be really happy with my product and the customer service. So yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel like work all the time for that reason. Uh, and I think that's super important in whatever you do really. Amazing. You right, Helen? You okay? Good. She's not falling asleep yet. She's always a positive sign, isn't it? Yeah, that would have been all yeah. good, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Any sort of like takeaways or anything that you sort of like have learned from your time at Google? Ooh. Um, God. Uh, well, one of them is not to work yourself to the bone for someone else because it's often not worth it. Um, I think that that could be seen like for you know, a lot of these tech companies now making huge swathes of redundancies, right? Like you can be super loyal to a brand and work till eight o'clock at night and actually like you're gone tomorrow because they, yeah. they need to make cuts. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like Google's afforded me lots of opportunities. So I don't want to sound like I'm Google bashing because this could go for any company, right? Like mm. I could have been working anywhere. And actually, I was more passionate about something else, which meant I was not fully committed to the thing that I was there to do. So um, I've just been extremely lucky that I've learned what I've learned there. I moved around the company also selfishly to learn about areas that I thought would influence my businesses later. So I used, I was a digital marketer, right? And and then I went to work in the retail part of Google, which focuses on like mobile phones, laptops, um, Nest security cameras. And I went into that world where it was all about product development. How do you sell this product into the market? You were quite strategic about it. Yeah. And it was, you know, re working on re uh, return logistics, which is, yeah, how do you get the physical product back? And, you know, like if someone wants to return it or there's a problem with it, like, so I learned about the retail industry. I learned, you know, a lot about margins, sellout, you know, how you, you know, get other retailers to sell your product, how you partner with different brands to to increase your exposure. And part of that was just strategic. And I wasn't very good at it, to be honest. I was working with people with 10 years experience that they're like, why is this guy from digital marketing coming in to like run <laughs> like part of retail? And I was also thinking like, oh my God, what have I got myself into? But that's the, also the great thing about Google actually is that they do allow you to move into other worlds because they're like, well, we hired you into the business because we think you're reasonably good at what you do, but also you're smart enough to do something else if we need you to. And they do allow a lot of mobility there so that people can try different things. And I don't think I was particularly good at that very specific part of retail, but it taught me loads. And I actually learned loads from the people in my team and they're all still really close friends. So like I do lean on them a bit um, as well. But yeah, I learned an incredible amount by just moving around the business and being strategic about what I needed. Hmm. So it's like, yeah, building your skills by yeah, just being a bit self. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. No, I love that. 
Can we go back to the point that you talked, um, you mentioned that word, Instagram. Oh, yeah. And how, you know, <laughs> you had that. We're thinking the same thing, you know. Well, we're on the same wavelength, aren't we? Um, you had that period of, which I'm sure we'll all be able, we'll, we can all relate to as, as business owners on Instagram, that you, know, you could put content out and just get likes and follows and mm. grow and, you know, be like, yeah, this is good. I'm going to keep doing this. To now, where it feels incredibly hard and challenging yeah. to get that organic reach well, yeah. to the point where it's almost impossible now. I, 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 I've thought this, we've had a previous conversation on the pod about this and how it feels like um, everybody is on Instagram creating content. And it actually, when you really think about it, how on earth can you stand out from such a huge audience now where everybody that's on there is a content creator? Yeah. Not everyone on there is a consumer necessarily. They're all creators. Yeah. So you're in a you're in a market of creators. Um, but how did that change for you? How did it change your business? And what have you what have you had to uh, adopt or embrace now to sort of drive that that marketing and that and that mm. growth? Given the the lack of organic reach that you now you yeah, know, I feel with. like this is a total can of worms, isn't it? Um, so so yeah, like Instagram for me initially was just like a bit of a cash cow and an incredible way to like reach my very niche audience, like you were saying earlier. Um, and it was super powerful at the time. Like I was just, and I'm not a content creator. I'm not like, I'm not brilliant at photography. Um, I'm good at creating products, I think, and matching products to watches. Uh, and that was kind of it really. I was just taking reasonably candid photos like out on a dog walk or whatever. And like, this is a new strap I've done, looks cool with this watch. Like you'd put it out and you'd get 400 likes. You'd be like, that's cool, people like it. It's like a bit of ratification for the thing that you've created, right? Um, and people were sharing it and my organic reach was great. It was, uh, my follower uh, base was growing. And that was at a time where it was kind of, everything was linear, right? So your organic reach grew, the number of likes grew. And a lot of people say like, you shouldn't focus on likes, right? But it is the thing that helps you ratify whether you're doing the right thing or not. Yep. Now that's why that's a huge problem. Um, but back then it was a great way to just understand whether you're creating good stuff. Um, and over the years that became like my sole way of growing the business, as I said earlier. Um, and then I think one of the, one of the challenges for me then was a, how do I have time to keep doing this? Because back then I was probably doing like 20 emails a week, a few orders, like I had all the time in the world and all I was focused on was how do I grow? So like, it was like, you know, just make loads of content on Instagram. I didn't know one was really doing stories then it was just like physical, you know, square photo. Um, so I just kept putting loads of content out. Then my time started to sort of diverge a bit because the business grew. So then it's like, how do I carve time out to do this thing? And all of a sudden, like my my account was just growing exponentially. I probably got to about 10,000 followers quite quickly. Um, and then like bang overnight, my account was just like shadow banned, like, you know, this sort of mysterious like shadow ban that, you know, everyone seems to get at some point. Um, and all of a sudden, like, I just couldn't get reach. Um, and the more I started, and I'm from a digital marketing background, so I'm sort of slightly cynical as well when it comes to these things. I'm like, well, now I'm in a position where Instagram are trying to get me to use the platform to sell my product because, you know, that was when you could start tagging a product in the photo and like, you know, buy this on my website. And as soon as you start doing things like that, they're like, well, you're running your business for free on our platform. No, 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 no. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm paying for like my advertising. So I'm like, well, this is really important to my business. And I was growing my business organically for free. 
and now I'm not getting exposure, I, my crutch is gone because my crutch was Instagram. I didn't do Google ads or anything. I just relied on word of mouth forums and whatnot. All of a sudden, like that crutch goes and you're like, oh Jesus, like, well, I haven't got the volume of traffic yep. coming anymore because no one's sharing my content. I think or this is very. This is also very similar. Like you talking about that reminded me of like we we had the same thing with Facebook. You know, four or yeah, five yeah. years previous, yeah. where people were like, "What's what's happened?" Yeah, you know, you could post a photo to Facebook and get you know three four thousand reach. Now it's you get. 20. Now it's just your mum. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even think she cares anymore. <laughs> you know, so you know, it's it's like we've said before, like the landscape's always changing, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and I think. And that is also a really personal challenge for me because it felt like for a while I was spent so much time on Instagram. You know, like this little app on your phone that tells you like how much time you spent in apps like in a day and it's horrifying. And like I kept seeing like Instagram was like two and a half hours or three hours because I'd use it for market research as well, right? Mm. I like, I want to see what watches people are buying because that means that's a product I should be focused, like should I make a specific strap for it or yeah, what trends are there? What are my competitors doing? Which I cared too much about initially, which was like, what are they doing? Should I be doing what they're doing? Actually, I very quickly learned that like the more you switch off, you still need that. You still have to have like a- Because you have the landscape. Yeah, an idea of the landscape, but you will stress yourself out more thinking about what they're doing and thinking they're doing a really good job. I should like, I should be worried about them than just thinking about if you create a great product and you know, great customer service, the rest will generally come, I think. Um, and and so personally, I ended up like just deleting all my own personal accounts because I was like, I can't spend any more time. It was almost toxic, I thought, because I was worried about all my reach and stuff. I was like, oh, nobody likes the brand anymore, which wasn't true. Um, Instagram was kind of killing it off. I was too focused on what everybody else was doing. So I deleted my own account so I didn't spend as much time on it. And then that meant like I wasn't in the app enough. And I was like, I'm not creating enough content. Um, and then I started scheduling stuff because I was like, well, now it's more for me as a business, just making sure that if a customer goes on it, it's like when people ever, when everybody did a blog and then stopped doing it and you're like, was well, this brand legit? So I haven't done a blog post since like February 27 or something, <laughs> um, or 2017. And uh, Instagram's a bit the same. You kind of have to keep on top of it, but I'm not using it now as my primary sales channel. You were the one actually that recommended I would put my face on it more, which actually yep. helps loads actually. Yep. So thank you for that. Like I'm not, I'm not very, I don't like having my photo taken. Uh, you You're know a good looking well. lad though, Davis. You're a good looking <laughs> lad. To, um, You're watching on YouTube. <laughs> You'll know. You, at, the, at the wedding, I remember like you kept trying to make me smile, like forcing me to. And this is actually why I chose. Oh, Sam. hold on a second. No, that, 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 no, 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 no. All the secrets are coming no, out. More David, no, more David, no, more David, please. That's not my bag, David. No, um, I know, which is why I chose you. Like, yeah. because I really loved your it was style. I would like to say it's natural banter. Yeah. That's what, that's what we had. But there were there were moments where like you were trying to get a photo of me and Emma and you're like, smile like it's your big day. And I was just like, ooh. Like, I, I, that, I can't okay, do no, it so I hate it and then when you I think you were saying like oh you should like we were talking about it a bit on and off on messenger and you were saying oh, you should get your face on them or like because you know people buy into people buy people right yeah, like, that is. is so true and as soon as I started doing that I think people realized that like it's not some faceless brand like Amazon where mm package comes through the post it's got some cellophane on it and you're like oh, that's my Amazon passport and you know that through the tape on the box like with a strap tailor it's it's a very personal experience but as soon as I started putting my face on it and people were like ah oh, that's the guy that actually that's the strap yeah, yeah. tailor or that's the guy that runs the business 
suddenly people are like, oh, I'm buying into him. Like, and he lives in the country now and he can walk his dogs in the morning because he's got time. And as soon as people feel that warmth to someone, I think that makes a huge difference. So that actually was like a sort of next step for me is like, how do I do more of that? But I've always been thinking with Instagram, like, should I invest more in it? And actually, I'm not sure now because I don't, I think the diminishing return is here. Like, I don't think if I invested in someone to you mean help in terms me, of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if I put more time into it, I, I don't feel like I can get the reach unless I've got like, you know, a setup like this and a professional taking all the photos for me. Like, I'm not even sure I could. Even then I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. not I, like, it's hard to know what people want now. And I think through, I do a lot of advertising, yeah. paid advertising. And actually, typically what works best is like, I've got a video where I talk about why I started the business. It's like, 30 seconds or something where well, I started the business who I am why I do it and those sort of like UGC style things actually work way better than I've I um, had another business which I spent about a grand on an ad because I was like I feel like if I get this like really beautifully done and um and it, it looks like super slick everyone's is destined to work and it was a flop and actually like stuff that we've recorded on our phones, just like talking into the camera, just resonates because people s stop to look at it. When they see it's an ad, they're like, it's an ad, and there goes another one. Like, And the targeting's great on Instagram and Facebook. So that is one benefit of those platforms and their targeting methods. But um, yeah, in terms of Instagram now, like I feel like I have to pay it lip service a bit because my product is very visual. Yeah. What? But I, yeah, I feel like there's better places to spend my kind of, branding marketing dollars as it well, were that kind of leads on to the next point which is how you've then kind of influenced my decision with my business now to mm. to outsource and, yeah um and I'm, I'm going to be working with the company that you've been working with for a little while yeah um, based off of your recommendation but really just trying to understand you know it made me kind of realize when we were talking that you know in order to get that reach now that you do have to pay for it a little bit and you do yeah and and it's such a minefield that actually to try and do it in-house i.e me running those ads yeah would be well two things very time consuming and very expensive yeah because i'd likely make you know you know what it's like when you log into business manager it is incredibly <laughs> complex yes unbelievably yeah, yeah. complex and, and it changes all the time yeah, which constantly. means you also need to keep your skills totally fresh yeah yeah um so yeah it's um how, how was that pro how was that transition between just kind of going from obviously doing a few ads yourself mm. without the the assistance of a company to then taking yeah. on and obviously you know that that probably that place that i'm in at the moment where you think oh this is a big this is a bit of a risk like i'm yeah. committing to a three-month kind of project with a company that i don't yeah. really know much about but i'm kind of trusting in them how's that how's that process played out and and what have you taken um, from that I, it's been a really positive one for me i think one thing i try and do as best as possible is outsource things that like either I'm not good at or I don't think is the best use of my time. Uh, and that's very hard to do earlier in, early in a business because well, partly it's very expensive and you need the cash flow to be able to do it. Partly it's trust because it's your baby. You don't want to like outsource it to someone and trust that they're going to do something good with it. Um, and I think it took me a while to like feel comfortable doing these things and outsourcing. But actually, once you start doing it, the relief you feel as well that you're not solely responsible for trying to make this thing work is, is quite sort of cathartic really and actually 
I think finding an agency was a bit problematic. Like I've used several other people in the past and I'm quite lucky that I come from a digital background that means I know when someone's trying to pull the wool over my eyes or I know someone's not doing a good job. And I did go through a few of those. So it wasn't all plain sailing, got this agency that we're now both working yeah. with and like everything was fine. Well, I, I did I should just explain that actually the reason that I got in touch with you again was yeah. because I got served an ad by that agency and David's face popped up. Yeah, I was like, hold on a second. Right. I, know I know that guy. guy. <laughs> I know this guy. I love that. That's so funny. So, you know, it was yeah, kind of like, God, if, you can tar- if you can target me with this guy, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, like, you've, got know. My, you've got my attention. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. You're not the only person that said that as well. I've had other I should people also say, I've seen you on missing. Tube adverts as well. Before yeah, yeah. Been so I was on, on the Tube for, as well. Who was it for? Tide Bank. Oh, it was a bank. Yeah. Yeah, I was also on. I was I was full height on double decker buses as well. Yeah. So I remember what I remember being in London and not doesn't like putting his face out there though. Doesn't like doesn't like putting his face out. But he'll get he'll go on a double decker bus and, yeah. and a tube advert. Bus pulled up next to me and I was just a bit like like it was like full size me right like literally right there. It was incredible. Um, uh, yeah, well, that was a tangent. Um, yeah, agencies. I think when you get a good one like they can like project your business rapidly and i think with things like facebook and google ads there is an element of trust as well because it's not overnight i mean it might be for some brands that are doing such a bad job right now that tomorrow they can just be like well we can clear this up like overnight and it will be better google is a little faster but facebook is all about learning algorithms and time and unfortunately, there's like always a bit of a pain point with Facebook where an agency will typically say, you know, we need three months before you're going to see any like real results or that's where the point where you'll see more traction. And that is so true. But so many people get panicked because, like I say, you need cash flow. My money's going and I yeah, want to see results. Exactly. You And I was saying this to um, Sam earlier, like when I look at an agency or something to outsource, the first thing I'll think about is how quickly can it wash its face? Because there's a point where you can pay for something and you can risk losing some money if you know that that is going to start paying itself back dividends later. And any cost, that's how I look at it. It's like, okay, well, it's, you're going to charge me £3,000 a month for that. How quickly do you think you can start at least making £3,000? Because then I know it's paying for itself. I don't need to necessarily be making more at that point. Mm. And then I want to know how quickly you think you can drive exponential growth above that, because that's the point where I'm like, happy days. Like, why employ someone and have the burden of that when I can outsource it and you guys will do, you'll learn every day, you'll teach each other, you'll share experiences, and that will be a much better way to manage um, the digital marketing. And I think I kind of found that with this agency and they do my Google and Facebook, and this isn't an ad for them, we haven't mentioned their name, but, I think once you start seeing that growth and you really trust in the people you're working with, like I see them, um, I see them as like an extension of my team, really. Like we talk all the time. I very much trust them to do their thing because like I can see they're growing my business. I can see that they care about growing my business. And therefore I'm not going to be, the, I've experienced those sorts of customers that are like on your back all the time. And they're like, this isn't working. That's not working. So I, I know there will be weeks when it doesn't work that's the nature of retail but there are also weeks where it's superb and I trust them just to get on with it and that's the beauty of outsourcing stuff to someone you can trust and will care about your business not in the same way you do because that's impossible but enough to make you feel like you've made a good choice and yeah I hope in that sense they they do the same for you but they're probably better do 
Yeah. I'm coming after you, David. Yeah, exactly where I live. (laughs) But no, it it is. It's just part of the part of the course, isn't it? And the the journey and you know, I've I've had to remind myself a few times that I don't know if this is gonna work or not. Um, but I have to I have to take a measured Mm. risk. Yeah. Um, and you saying that about washing its face, like, yeah, okay. I, I've kind of in my head, I've gone, right, well, this is a, well, for me, I'll be brutally honest. It's like, it's a 10 grand investment. Yeah. But, you know, that might, might give a 20, 30 grand return. It might give exactly. a 10 grand return. Yeah. You know, and I have to just be able to kind of go, okay, well, what do I need to sell to make 10 grand back? Yeah. And, and at the very least, make sure that I don't lose money on it. But yeah. And I think sometimes with digital marketing, it's very easy to be focused on the immediacy of it because it is an immediate thing, right? Mm. Like you turn ad on, you're expecting a result. But certainly with businesses like yours, even more so than, yeah, way more so than yours, like your path to conversion isn't 24 hours. Like someone oh, doesn't no. go like, I need a wedding photographer. I've seen an ad buy now. Like, because you have to meet them. Yeah. They have to buy yeah. into you. You have to buy into them. There's an element of trust, isn't it? Yeah. My path to purchase, so the, the time it takes from someone finding out about my brand, so new customer, finding out about my brand to buying a product is 20 days, typically, give or take. And that's a product that's a consumable. So, you know, it is something they could buy today, uh, but they choose to do their research and it takes 20 days. So if yours is 60 days, because they're researching a year and a half ahead of their wedding, then you have to set, you have to shift your expectations to be like, well, I've invested 10 grand, but I might not see that again till month four or five when that person makes yeah. a decision. And then you might get all of it. You might get three or four or five people all at once mm. because you started here, but you netted out here, which is actually your time to conversion. So I'd say for a lot of people also work out what that is from the moment someone first reaches out to you to the time when you sign a contract. And then that's now your expectation when you move to digital marketing. It's like, I can't expect them to deliver a sale tomorrow because I never convert a sale tomorrow from the first moment they click mm. or they research me. So I think also you have to give agencies that kind of breadth and space to be able to do that. And I think, yeah, once you allow that and you start measuring that yourself, it's much easier then to understand what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And especially, I guess, as well, if you selling a, a service or online product is it high ticketed is it not yeah. say so, yeah yeah it's yeah. a huge commitment right like yeah, so the cost variables. of your services is high and someone is going to make a very educated decision as to whether that's right for them they're going to go to your website multiple times they're going to you know read your email many times they might share it back and forth like whilst they're at work as a couple like you know discussing so yeah it's a long path to purchase but the reward for you is like you don't need you don't need to convert a hundred people. Like I need to, if I'm paying arbitrarily two grand a month for someone to run my Facebook ads, I need a lot of sales to make that pay off. If you're paying someone two grand a month, you actually don't. You could you could probably go three months, and again, we're talking arbitrary numbers here, but you could probably go three months and then get the sale. And then you're like, okay, well that paid for the last three months. Like mm. as long as you've got as long as it's washing its face that's always the most important thing for me and then you're looking for growth over and above that once they start to also learn what is the right target market who are the right people what's the right demographic is it that actually your photography resonates better with someone who is aged 21 to 28 than it is someone 35 to 45 in which case they go hard at that target audience once they know that um, they've got the data to prove that but it takes time Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, exciting times, isn't it? It is. It's... Yeah, come on. Come on. I was, was going to say, I was going to ask, really, in terms of like, you seem to have a good, a good breadth of knowledge in terms of like your customer base and where they're coming from. Mm. Um, what would you say is the sort of like percentages in terms of like how you're getting customers at the moment? Uh, is it in, is it ads? Is it organic reach? What is the sort of like percentages that you sort of like feel yeah. in your mind? Guesstimation, just to kind of like get an idea. Yeah, so um, I mean, the business has changed loads over the years, even from like demographics, location. You know, I was pretty much entirely focused on the UK. Then I moved into Europe, but then Brexit mm. kind of killed that off because, you know, the cost of trade was expensive. People had to pay import duties. Uh, I do a huge sway of the business in uh, the US now. And yeah, originally very much focused on just organic Instagram. Then I started moving into Google ads and Facebook ads, which accounts, I mean, I spend a lot of money on Google and Facebook ads now, but they do pay back in, you know, quite significant numbers. Like it's about ROAS of like three to four, which is pretty yeah. good. So every yeah. pound I get in, you know, three to four pounds back, that doesn't take into account, like obviously the cost of running a business, but like as long as you're comfortable with what your return on ad spend needs to be, then you can kind of let it do its thing, right? So I very much rely on that. My view as a digital marketer as well, especially when you're growing a brand, is that you have to fill the funnel and you have to keep filling the funnel. Hmm. Like a brand like mine that's sort of a luxury product is also very much um, leaning on word of mouth. And actually that has really started to snowball now. I've always focused on fill the funnel, so get customers. Because once I feel like they see the product, <clears throat> they experience the customer service and they get that sort of like uh, sort of touch and feel. If I've done a good job, they will come back. So my view is like, yeah, you might pay 30, 40 pound for that customer initially, but if they come back for the next three, five, 10 years, then that is the snowball compounding effect, right? Yeah. So and they're only gonna have friends and family members exactly. that are in the same boat. They're gonna be like, oh, yeah. I know a guy that does that. And word of mouth is so powerful. Massive. I mean, like the same for you guys, like your, Pictures will sell your services, but also your customers will sell your services because they know people that are getting married and they're like, oh, you should go and speak to these guys. Like they do an amazing job and here's, here's the proof, right? Mm. And that's the same with my products. Like they take it to a jeweler, the jeweler will put it on for them maybe. And then they're like, oh, who made this? Like we, so we often need straps as well. Then they reach out. So, so yeah, I do spend quite a lot on that. And it probably does account for 70% of my sales is paid for media. Um, and the rest is like, and that's, I'd say, shrinking in favor of like organic growth because mm -hmm. those customers are coming back now. And that's that compounding snowball effect. And now I'm trying to invest more in the retention aspect, which is, yeah, nurturing the customers that I have. So email marketing is not something I've invested enough time and effort in. But in areas that I have learned about and implemented, that makes up probably seven to ten percent of my revenue, which is free, right? Like these yeah. customers that have said, "I'm interested in hearing more about your product," um, and I email them occasionally to tell them about a new leather I've got or a new product, or whatever. And you know, you might get two thousand pounds worth of sales from it. And often I look at that, I'm like, "That's ridiculous!" Like I've just got the two thousand pounds worth of free sales, and. Um, but it's always the thing that I neglect. So now I'm really invested in trying to really improve, like nurturing my current customer base, telling them more about my brand, 
keeping them more aware of like you know they've bought a what strap today what pro what part of the process is it in like is it being cut is it being painted is it being stitched um so yeah really trying to sort of evolve the business a bit so that long term i want to massively reduce my marketing spend at some point because you also need to fill the funnel to power email marketing right like it doesn't feed itself um but over time i want to pull that back because a lot of my profit goes into ad spend and it is a, a significant part of my um my outgoing so i do want to try and pull that back a bit and that is the point of like invest in email now and hopefully that can kind of take some of the burden a bit and that's a bit more organic that's amazing mm. um you've expanded quite a bit in terms of your business over the years any sort of like dreams that you have for I say the next two, three years, really, in terms of just strap mm. tailor in general. Yeah, I, I always wonder what this might be. Actually, I think um, I think partly. I mean, I've got some. I've got things I want to do with the business right now, which is kind of probably pretty boring to you and your listeners, which is just like more diversification of what I do. <laughs> I like diversifying products a bit, but trying not to move too far away from the core, because mm -hmm. I think it's important that my business stays true to what it is, which is like bespoke straps. Because I think it would be very easy to like to start diluting and doing like other leather products true. and stuff. And then suddenly you're not the strap tailor anymore. You're just a leather seller. Um, one of the things that I'd really like to do more of is work with more brands. So I work with um, a really cool brand called Studio Underdog, um, which is started by a young guy called Richard, who was a watch designer um, for Braun, and then started doing his own thing. <clears throat> and we sort of, we met when he first started his business and uh, we met over a breakfast and we started talking about straps. And, uh, and one thing led to another and now I do all the straps for his watches. Uh, his brand has grown exponentially and we've got a really great relationship and kind of support each other as sort of two, I'm, I was going to say young entrepreneur, I'm really 40 now, which I keep forgetting, um, <laughs> but he's young and uh, it's really nice to see um, his brand growing and I'd love to do more of that. Um, I don't necessarily want to work with like big major brands because I think that's not also what I am uh, or it's not what I want to be. I don't want to be like some mass produced manufacturer for, you know, big uh, corporate brands. And also where I've had some very tentative conversations with some about that, it's very like you're going to have to sign this contract and we need to see this, this and this. I'm like, this actually isn't really that's like me going back to Google almost yeah. like suddenly mm -hmm. I've got a boss at like some big company that's yeah. going to be breathing down my neck. I'm like that kind of takes me back in the wrong direction. I think one thing that also changes um, as you grow your business when you start hiring is the responsibility you feel for someone else as well. And I think, you know, I'm keen as much as possible to grow the business, support my local community where I'm based now. You know, my sister works for me, so I have a huge responsibility to feel like I can make sure that Lisa's always looked after yeah. and um, she can support her family and things. So. Partly it's also like making sure the business is a success so that they can be successful with me. Because it's very easy to be super passionate about your business and your brand. But if somebody else can be on that journey with you, like you definitely grow better and faster because, you know, they have the same sort of passion or as much as you can expect someone to have that, you know, doesn't own it. Right. Yeah. Um, and what I'd really love is like a really cute barn somewhere that's like been restored or something. We can have like a really cool workspace. Um, that would be a dream. But otherwise, like, I'm super happy with where we are at the moment. Um, I'm really pleased with, you know, the sort of feedback we get. 
Uh, and it's just, yeah, more of the same, I suppose. More more people would be good so we can make more because the creative industry is very, oh, it's the same with you guys, right? You only have a certain amount of time. Uh, you can only do a certain number of weddings. Um, if you could do 10 times as much, you could sell 10 times as much, but that's the limiting factor with yeah. making a product yeah. is, is capacity. And um, yeah, if that could be solved, that'd be great. But training someone to make a watch strap's like three or four years to even be probably remotely good enough um so that is always going to be a challenge so it's always yeah how do i sort of balance that with other products that don't require like you know hand making and whatnot so um yeah no huge grand plans no but it's really, sound great though yeah i think it's really inspiring what you've done i think there'll be a lot of people listening that that will be you know really kind of um just just inspired by that that journey and that process from the corporate world through to you know, doing a job that really clearly satisfies and excites you. Yeah. Um, I, I think like from the outside looking in, like the, the exciting thing that I can see in, in your business, and we've talked about this very briefly, is that, that kind of that scalability to the US and you know, being able yeah, to kind of yeah. tap into a, a, yeah. a, an enormous audience that are going to want to buy into you and your brand because you're you know, David from the UK, you know, yeah. just outside of London, it's yeah. handmade. Yeah. You know, I can see that really kind of resonating with a, a US market and, yeah. and um, yeah, I think it's only going to go from kind of strength to strength, really. Mm. Yeah, well, I hope um, so. <laughs> do you want to wrap it up, Igor? You Indeed. Got any, you got any other questions on your list? Yeah, I do, I do. Um, we sort of like touch on it beforehand a little bit, but we, then, as we usually do, oh, we, we, we no weave format. in and, in and no out. Um, but one of the things that you said on your form, we always send out, um, I guess, a form, really. And something that you said that they're really really stood out to me was that money isn't everything and this is quoting you money isn't everything and time is currency what makes you happy is time more time at home more time with friends and family that is currency and yeah just talked more about that really in the sense of and i think i think you very much wrapped it up in the sense of like moving from google and why you really wanted to make the business work and everything else and pursuing your passions really but the whole idea of time as currency really just yeah delve into that a little bit more I, th I think this is it's like sometimes i feel like it's a bit of like an epiphany and some people have it and some people don't which is like the more time you can spend doing the things that you really love and you know whether that's physically doing a hobby whether that's spending more time with your partner or your kids or whatever that might be the more fulfilling life is fundamentally and most people on the whole spend an inordinate amount of time at work with people that are acquaintances friends if you're lucky um, and then commuting each way to that place that invariably you have so little time to do those things that actually make you really happy and I think sometimes it's really hard to balance that and I think um, from a health perspective, evenly, you have to try and focus on making more of that achievable. And I talked earlier about, you know, you work for some brands and you give them everything. Like you work, you know, crazy hours. You put, as, you know, you're thinking about work when you're not at work. You're, you know, picking up messages because we're always contactable now. And sometimes to them, you're just a number, right? Like you think you're part of this big, like warm hug, but actually you're like super disposable. Um, and I just, I just always wanted to get away to the point where, you know, if I want to finish at four o'clock because I want to go home and see my wife and we're just going to go out for dinner because it's a nice day outside and we want to go and sit in a pub garden, like, I want to go and do that. 
like if we want to go on holiday next week because like we want to do something on the spur of the moment i want to do that and like the more time i've spent doing those things the more i've realized i've made the right choice and like i chose that life over money because i was really well paid and i did have like a very comfortable life but actually i would trade that any day again like i'm still comfortable i have much more time I walk my dogs in the morning before I go to work. I sort of have a leisurely walk into the office. Um, and when I come home at night, I'll go out on my bike or I'll go for a run or I'll walk the dogs or we'll sit in the garden together and have, you know, a drink or whatever. And for me, that's far more valuable than the money I earned before. And I think I just wish having, you know, I speak to friends all the time, whether that's at Google or other places or friends that work in different careers that all are so trapped by this feeling of like, I can't escape because I don't know what I would do. I just wish more people could find a way out to do it. And I think being an entrepreneur is like a super scary thing sometimes because you're so afraid of, you know, I don't know how to do this. I'm not an accountant. And all of those things can and will be scary when you do it. But I think like, as long as you are passionate and you can give it a go and you can give it everything you've got, then it's a far more enjoyable world yeah. to be in and there will be ups and downs and it will be stressful just like your full-time job is right now. But um, yeah, I think you can always come out the other side of those things and yeah, you will definitely be happier for it. I think on the whole. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, we love to finish the podcast with the good old question of if you were to meet 14 year old David today, what sort of advice would you give him with everything that you know today? Oh, that's a really tricky one, isn't it? It's hard because I think a lot of the things that have happened to me through that period from 14 onwards have led to where I am now. So it's like hard to think like what I would change. I think I think I would try and follow more of my passions then. I think this is like equally true of like school children now. It's like they're still very much, you know, told to go to university and, you, you know, you're good at that thing. So just go and do that regardless of what the job might be at the end of it. And I think that is absolutely wrong uh, and I think yeah you really need to try and follow more of the things you're passionate about I wanted to be a pilot uh, and never pursued that and I still every time I get in a plane like I kind of wish I was doing it um, and I think I would yeah I think I would try and tell myself to do something that I'm truly passionate about regardless of money because I think again when I was 14 like there was probably a bit of peer pressure from friends who had money and parents who want you to be you know comfortable which is not the wrong thing to want for yeah. your child because you want them to be financially secure mm. and whatnot but is is to allow them to do the things that they really want to do and I think as a 14 year old maybe I was uh yeah maybe didn't do all the things that I I thought I should have done so um yeah I'd probably tell myself to be a bit freer and just try and pursue those things I think yeah mm. great stuff loved it well, thanks you, for having I knew it'd be me. great having you here. I knew it. I knew it, and you proved me right. And I like it when I'm right. It is there. Um, no, it's it's been really enjoyable listening to you. I could I could sit here for a few hours just kind of listening to you talk about your, your business. And I think it's um, like I just said, it's I think it's really inspiring. Um, you're in, you know you're very smart, and 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 you know what you've what you've done and achieved so far has been great. But you know, it sounds like you've you're not finished yet and you've got plenty of other things to get on with and uh, hopefully not really excited no. to sort of see no, where indeed. see where you take it and 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 how the the future looks for the strap tailor yeah absolutely well yeah thanks for having me it's been super fun it's my first ever podcast i've enjoyed it no thank you just smashed it so thank you david cool you've been you're amazing. welcome where can people get hold of you uh the strap or at the strap tailor although you know you've heard us 
talk about Instagram. Yeah. So maybe maybe the strapteller.com or David at the strapteller. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.